1: Felicidad Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad Feliz Navidad Prospero Paco y Felicidad I want
2: to wish you a merry
0: Trying to make everybody feel at home culturally. And uh joining us from Kansas, Will Costantini. Will, how are you?
1: Great, Mac Happy to be here.
0: Well, we're always happy to have you. And then Tim Lynch joins us from uh, McAllen, Texas. So, play this honor, uh, play this in honor of you, Tim. me down by the border.
3: Yeah, everything down at the border is cool, brother. All right, we're uh, we're doing fine down in McAllen.
0: We'd love to hear that. And back from the East Coast is Jeff Kenny. Jeff, uh, how are you? Merry Christmas.
2: Good, thank you. Merry Christmas to you.
0: All right, all right.
2: Thanks. I'm back, back from back east. Yep.
0: Back from back east, Jeff Kenney. Um, the uh, let's see, we weren't all together last week. Will had a uh, a shooting date. Um, tell us about shooting, Will. How'd it go? Uh,
1: it was good. I uh, I uh, I went down and met uh, Retired uh, CW Five Gunner Jeff Eby. He owns about fifty odd acres somewhere in Central uh, Missouri, in an undisclosed location, <laughs> and uh, met uh, retired CW Five Marine Gunner Mike Musselman there. And at one point, both of them had been at Weapons Train Battalion. Eby right before I was there, and then Musselman came in. I also knew Eby from RCT Seven, and they're uh, they're both certifiable uh, gun nuts. Um, but actually in a really good way. And I've got a uh, a 6.5 Creedmoor that I bought and uh, mounted a scope on it and haven't been able to zero it. And so it was just entertaining. Listening to those two helped me zero this thing. And then uh, I've got a uh, an AR-15 with a scope that I hadn't shot in a long time. So then uh, getting into that, and then we shot some... Pistols. I just bought a uh, Uberti single action Colt, and uh, so I spent a day and a half with them, and uh, it was it was nothing but a small arms symposium combined with um how do you fix everything that we failed to fix or that we fixed when we were in and, and then now is broken again uh, to review of the complete Iraq campaign of two thousand and four. So oh, it was no good. kidding. It was a good day and a half.
0: Well, that's good. That's good. So everything got zeroed?
1: Everything got zeroed. Uh, hit and steel, you know, one foot by one foot targets easily at 500 yards. Uh, yeah, it was a really good day. Really good day.
0: Wow. How was the weather? Good shooting weather?
1: Yeah, it was uh, – it, it's it's something. So it's a couple of hundred miles south uh, – east of my house and the day before i went it snowed down there and there was snow still on the ground i never snowed up here and we got down there and it was probably in the 40s but clear very little wind uh and he owns property in this little valley he's got some reasonably high ridges along both sides and a and about a 20 foot wide creek that runs through there uh, so it's a great range he's got a bunch of targets out Sort of in an open pasture, and then along in a tree line that you got to sort of hunt and find. Um, But good backdrops to all of them. Um, He's got all the neighbors that he wants, which is zero. Um, Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, when you when you get down close to his house, you know you're there because you can hear the banjo starting to play, Uh, and then you turn down a dirt road and go a half mile. So. Nice. Yeah, really good place. Ben
0: Benjo yeah. banjo music always a little unnerving. The,
1: um, there you go. <laughs> but I was plenty well armed. So.
0: There you go. There you go. That's important. They respect that, right? They respect that. The um, to me, anything new to report in your life? I mean, are is the semester over? Are you on semester break? Or give us an update on your 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 life of being an academic
3: the 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 semester is over i don't start again until uh until next month um so I, and i and i but i had the easy classes i had international terrorism for instance which was which was pretty easy uh quite frankly but um next next semester dude graduate statistics i am oh. not going to be a happy camper yeah, that's going to be hard
0: yeah, yeah that yeah. that'll make a man out of you yeah i know it. I know it. Like but uh,
3: I I got uh, I got a I got a book that has been cited on Bill Gates' bookshelf oh. which is titled How to Lie with Statistics and I've ordered it so I'm going to get <laughs> brushed up with that before I take the class.
0: You know, and if it's
3: good enough for Bill Gates it's good enough for me.
0: The best teacher I ever had in college was I had in junior college and his guy named Bing Howell his dad was Trinidad's ambassador to the United Kingdom grew up in London, oh, cool. great teacher. And so I, um, I'm going to I, my mother, corporal punishment Kathleen, she was not about to send me to four years at a university you know to get drunk my first two years, and she was like, she was having none of that. So she said, "You could do your first year here, get all your general okay. education out of the way, and then you know, we'll, you know you can go away to school. So I took economic history from Bing Hao. And he was this great teacher. And, you know, lo and behold, I found out things like, you mean we didn't go to Latin America to spread democracy? And, (laughs) right? (laughs) And I found out that American corporations like the Continental Can Company and United Fruit, right, um, drug us into Latin America and, you know, and in other places. So it was this great awakening for me in terms of what economic history was and the, and the collision of economies and conflict and whatnot. And it was stunning to me, but I thoroughly enjoyed it. And he was just a great teacher. And so I thought, you know, if I'm going to understand history, which I love, which I thought I would major in, I really need to understand economics. And so I go to the university of San Diego and I my major. I declare economics and I had to do a year there where I did my undergraduate theology requirements and, and also my undergraduate business which was mostly math requirements to go be a economics major. And then I find out that like economics is all math. I'm like, what the fuck? Did I do to myself? But I'm so far into it, I can't get out of it now. And so we would there would be there would be there was like at the University of San Diego, there was probably like eight econ majors. Or maybe 10 at, at one time. And we would have guys like you guys would walk into the class. And we knew each other, right? And you, one of you guys would walk in. And we're like, hey, how's it going? And you're like, hey, what's, you know, economics and banking. I'm really excited to take it. Like, are you good at math? Well, I'm like, I'm okay. Like, just so you know that this is applied math. We're not going to sit around and talk about banks and shit like that, okay? That's not what we do here. We're going to do applied math and then we're going to, we're going to move the model and abstract the model and variables and shit like that. Like you could sit through the first one, but, and we would all look at it like, but if we were you, we'd get out of here and drop this as an elective (laughs) Too (laughs) hard. and at the end of the first class, they'd look around like, guys, thanks, man. That was really cool of what you guys did. I'm out of here. (laughs) They would drop it. Fucking statistics, man. That's all I did. It's, yeah, that's a bad, not a good move. I'm not still I'm a little bit bitter about it, but, uh, yeah, good luck, good luck, Timmy.
3: Yeah, thanks, you're pumping me up here, buddy.
0: Oh, my God, it's misery.
3: You, I know it is. You I, can't, I, 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 I figure.
0: You can't spin it. You can, there's no way you can, like, evolve a solution to it. It is right, or it's not right, wrong.
3: Yeah, So yeah, good, I'm, good. I'm looking forward to it. No, good luck on that.
0: No, yeah, I mean, get a D, it's all right. Can you get a D and still become a a professor? No, uh-uh. no,
3: no, no, not, not, no. I gotta, I gotta stay above a, I gotta stay a, around a, a three zero to keep my um, VA benefits. I believe they, well. they get shitty with you if you get a C. But oh. I, I, I'm i not doing. I mean, I'm, I'm they not get no
0: shitty with, with veterans if they get C's.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. They'll call you in and ask you what's up. Yeah. This is uh, the, the, this is the chapter thirty one. So it's vocational oh. rehab. And vocational
0: rehab, and I mean those motherfuckers yeah. were. I mean, the C was invented for them.
3: You know, I always thought that, too, until I found out that they would pay for a master's degree. And then I was all about vocational rehab. I'm like, oh, you guys are awesome. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was, you know, car mufflers and stuff like that. But it was uh, no, it's pretty good. But they don't they don't they're not they're they're on top of you and with the grades. You got to report them in.
0: Wow. Who knew? Yeah. Who knew? Mm-hmm. Jeffrey, uh, we need to hear about your life. You've had a Jeffrey's Big Adventure. You went back and spoke. Tell us how to go.
2: Yeah, I went back and I spoke to the IOC graduating class and, uh, at zero 06, just like the old days, uh, on uh, Friday. And uh, I was very good, uh, very good, uh, about 50 lieutenants. And um, <clears throat> the day before, the uh, I was staying with Furness, and the day before the actual graduation, I get a text from Verge Palumbo. You guys remember him? And he uh,
1: yeah,
2: says, he's like, hey, sir, uh, my kid tells me you're the graduating speaker at his, at his Holy shit. IOC graduation. And so here's young That's Tony. That's how old we are. Yes, Tony <laughs> Palumbo. So it was great, man. You know, So I, so I worked Verge into my remarks, you know, which I talked and I leaned heavily into Close With and destroy. You know, and uh, I talk about uh, William Hawkins, and I talked about uh, um, F- Mitchell himself, and I said, you know, for a lot of us IOC instructors, Mitchell Hall was a great thing because when we went through IOC, there was no Mitchell Hall. There was a there was a Quonset hut and a double wide trailer, and, right. you know, and, and a lot of pain and misery. And uh, <laughs> but it was and so it was very good because like. General Craperado was there, his kid was graduating in that class. Oh no shit. And uh so it was uh it was good and uh and I worked the whole thing in like that. It was uh and then we went over to the to Mitchell Hall and what used to be the bullpen is now the um it's now the John Maloney room and it's like a bar. And uh so their tradition they've developed is when a class graduates they all have a shot at Jameson's and then to, to the guys leaving, then they have another one to the guys coming in. So, uh, and I, they said, "Sir, did you have this tradition here?" I go, "Well, no, but this is a good one." <laughs> 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 and uh, and uh, so, but none of them could remember a time when there wasn't that bar there. You know, so um, things move on. you know. Yeah, Other than that, they still do. They do the room of pain down there. What one of the in classroom two we used to have now—that's total. Room of uh misery, you know, and, uh, ah. and Yeah. And so it was good, you know, it was very it was very good. And um
0: So where is the bu- Yeah where is the bullpen? Where do the captains what well, used to be the library? Oh it used to be the library. Uh, gonna
2: and then some of those like um remember how I used to do those T D G rooms we had? Um mm-hmm. that's all, you know, uh that's been moved in the, to, to different, you know, that's like part of the library and stuff like that. Got it. So they're, uh, you know, they, it's very, uh, it's cleaner, you know, than ours was, but uh, not much cleaner. You know? <laughs> so it was, it was, uh, <coughs> it was uh, you know, great to see. And then I worked on this uh, project with uh, Mel For the next two days, the gunfighter gym, they call it. Explain to everybody
0: who Mel is, because
2: a lot of people would think it would be Melanie. Mel is Captain Eric Mellinger, one of the uh, IOC instructors of our time, who now works at a company that's working to facilitate the the, uh, gunfighter gym, which is owned in two places that I know of. One up there by Dulles, like the prototype, and the other one. General Furness bought and put on there in Second Mar Div and it's got rave reviews and uh, it's kind of like a mixture of the room of pain and the IIT and a lot of technology um, that uh, basically you can do almost you almost get the same results from doing live fire particularly uh, you know individual live fire that you do actually doing it without all the you know infrastructure of range control and sdz's all that stuff so that was good so all day when i'm with captain former former colonel eric mellinger i'm laughing and then at night i'm with furness and we're laughing so my face hurts still from laughing all that time so it was good really good time
0: the um let me ask you guys uh what kind of students were you in college will were you a good student
1: um, well, I, I got into the mechanical engineering program at the Naval Academy, so I had about a 3-4 my first year, which is pretty good there, and then in my majors class, I had about a 2.1, uh, and I ended up graduating the top third, but it's, wait, uh, wait, wait, I, wait, wait, I had a roommate there who was in Please. systems engineering, never studied, and finished 18th in our class, so there's pretty... There are some smart people there, to say the least. Did you say two point one? Yeah, I had a two point one of my majors classes, like that's all C's. No shit. But yeah, I, I had I made all my money my first year, and then in all in the very few electives that we could take, uh, that's how I ended up. And I I don't I can't even tell you my GPA was like two six, but a two point six or two point seven. I don't know where I was academically, but I finished in the top third of the class with a two point six. Wow! Yeah, it's a pretty tough, pretty pretty tough place. Wow! There wasn't there wasn't a lot of a curve in there. Hey, let me ask so, you:
0: when I thought when at the Naval Academy, you had to get a hard degree, like a hard science degree.
1: Well, with, Did that what they do is they they had uh, at that point they had designated degrees in in engineering, like mechanical engineering. Aerospace engineering, systems engineering, ocean engineering. Yeah, there had to be one or two others. Everyone else got a bachelor of science. So if you were a, if you were a history major, you got a bachelor of science with no designation, because everyone took uh, three semesters of calculus, differential equations, chemistry, physics, um, naval engineering, electrical engineering. So you, you had plenty of hard stuff. So, you get it. If you're an English major, your diploma just said Bachelor of Science. If you were a mechanical engineering major, it said Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Timmy, were you a good student?
3: Uh, I was a horrible high school student, but I, I graduated, what, magna cum laude, about three, 3.82 because. Most of my college schooling was taken at night when I was a corpsman, and I only had to go to on campus for a semester and a half of courses I couldn't take at night. And, uh, I, and at the time, I, we, we only had one car. My wife would drop me off at school at zero seven because she was a corpsman also, and she'd go to work, and I would I'd go to class in the morning, I'd do my homework, and, and go to lacrosse practice, and she'd come get me at night. And I I got straight A's, but I I, I didn't. It wasn't hard. It was business. I, I didn't I, I knew better than to take finance because I don't like math. So I was uh I was in a pretty skate, you know, I mean business administration. Not the most challenging of degrees.
0: That's what I always say.
3: Yeah. It isn't. It just straight up is isn't. That was that was
2: I picked right. <laughs>
0: Interesting. Jeff, how about you? You're a good student? You're like rain man. I mean, come on.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I was good. I, I uh I was good in high school. But I got suspended every year I was in school for fighting. And uh, twice in my senior year. What, no, what about college? So, what about college? Well, I never got suspended for fighting in college, so I improved. <laughs> but uh, I was, yeah, I was uh, real high. I was always on the dean's list in the University of Colorado. And uh, I got a special award being the top military student uh, my last year. Uh, unlike Joe Biden. I mean, you can check that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but uh, again, I was a history major. I and like uh, and I, my focus was I had to sign a waiver because I was a little bit older when I went into the MESA program. I, for me to do a whole full year, four years would have put me over the age limit then, which was 29, to be commissioned. So I said I'll do it in three years. So uh, I took a lot of – I took this course called Ancient Athletics. I took a course uh, – <laughs> I took courses in uh, how to make your own ma- – how to make maps because there was no maps, uh, one of 50,000s of the, uh, area around university of Colorado, like where the flat irons are, if you're familiar with that and, uh, you know, going up into the Rocky mountains. So I, I made maps based on that class where everybody had 50, you know, one to 50,000 grids and stuff. And I, I, my spare time was spent training midshipmen who were going to be Marines to be infantry officers. So I like devised, you know, uh, confidence courses in the, uh, you know, some of the, um, uh, trails we used to hump and run on and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I did good. I did good in college because it was like if you turn your shit on, on time, you got an A. I mean, what the exactly. fuck, man? I mean, how could you not all these other kids. They'd be lined up in front of me with some kind of uh, the dog ate my homework bullshit excuse why they couldn't turn their shit on time. I just turned my shit in, and every professor, no matter how much of a you know, Che Guevara fucking fan he was, they were just grateful. I, you know, I was an easy student to to uh, to uh, you know evaluate. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, I didn't give a shit about, I never gave a shit about academics. I I got, I think I was a 276 two GPA and close to that in both high school and college. And then it was funny when um, I started writing, you know, at IOC and stuff like that and started getting things published. My dad says, like, what the hell is this? I said, what do you mean? He says, you're writing now and getting things published? I said, yeah, he said, "Why didn't you ever get a sh- give a shit when I was paying for it?" <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> I just said, "I said, I don't know. I mean, I look back, and it's kind of stupid, but I just, I, I didn't care. I, didn't, you know, it wasn't something that I ever got excited about. You know, my cousin who graduated summa cum laude, um, <clears throat> he said, I always look at you know classes as kind of a competition. You know, I was like, really? He said, Yeah, Mike, I look at it like a ball game." I'm like, what? Like, I look at it like a pain in the ass. I've got to sit in there until I can not sit in there and get out of there and go do something. But I never, and it wasn't really until I went back to Quantico that I think I began to really intellectually get after, um, you know, stuff. And, uh, yeah, my intellectual epiphany, although, I mean, I got my degree in economics, so, I mean, I... And I actually had to get on my knees and beg for a C minus in accounting because it was in my major or else I would have had to gone to summer school. Um Yeah. I was I, I, I please, you can't give me a D, it's in my major. I've got a job with Merrill Lynch, I gotta leave. I can't stay here. Please, you want me to get out on my knees? He says, You don't have to. I said, I will, I swear to God. He's like, Okay, C minus, get out of here. And I was but I was willing to beg for it. But I just, I could not give up, and especially, so my heart kind of goes out to you, Timmy, memorizing fucking rules, like geometry and accounting, fuck. Yeah. Absolutely meaningless to me.
3: It's it's going to be a difficult semester, but I shall prevail, my friend.
0: Okay, so one more, now that we're talking about academics, now I'm kind of curious. What was your greatest academic failure, Will?
1: Um, so when I was a senior at Navy uh, there were a lot of courses that they taught in engineering that they only taught one semester Uh, so I had to take a class called heat transfer and it was in the first semester of my senior year and so it was a required course for the major and the guy who taught it was a guy called Rocket Reed Uh, he was famous for like Designing some satellite. And he taught two classes, fluid dynamics and heat transfer. And if you had them for one class, you didn't have to have them for the other. So I had fluids from a different guy. So heat transfer comes up. And, and so this is my first semester of my senior year. I'm taking 20 semester hours, 18 of which is engineering. And, uh, I realized by the midterm, there's no way I could pass this class. And when I went to the final, I just put my name on a piece of paper and handed it to him and walked out. And uh, so I got an F, which means you can't graduate with that major. And uh, what they do is, you know, finals are like the week before Christmas. And then we go back to school like January 3rd. So between Christmas and New Year's, everyone who's failed a class or is or is academically unsatisfactory, which means they can kick you out. They bring you back between Christmas and new year. So I had to drive back down there and go to a board. And, uh, the guy says, well, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, sir, they don't teach heat transfer in the spring. So I'm going to just drop into the general engineering. They had a, a major for all the people who flunked out of the engineering. And he says, don't you want to be a mechanical engineer? I said, no, I want to be a second lieutenant. um, and then they ended up teaching heat transfer again that spring. And he says, well, would you take the class? And I said, no. Uh, there was 40 – the guy had two sections, 20 students in each one. I think 31 people failed, uh, which means a third of the people in my class who were mechanical engineering majors were going to flunk out of the major as seniors. So they, I said, no, I'm not – I don't want to take it. So when I went back, the department chairman Ooh. was the professor for the class. So that was a signal to me that everyone was going to pass. So I took the class and I got a B second time around. But uh, I'd never, I'd never failed a class in anything before. I mean, I was a good student in high school, um, and even at Navy where it was hard, and I got a lot of C's, I got a lot of high C's, uh, but I'd never come close to failing anything. And I just was, I was not going to succeed with this period. And it's like you watching your life pass before in front of your eyes. Cause in theory, I think they get a kick to me. I'm, maybe not because I had enough credits to drop into another major, but, uh, that was unpleasant. Um, but it was interesting. You know, when you go before an academic board, it's the, uh, uh, the dean and all of that stuff. There's no military people there and they were a little bit befuddled. By the fact that I was completely unconcerned uh, with what was on my degree, I just needed to have that diploma. Well,
0: you're you're There's your Naval Academy. <laughs> you're rocking their galaxy. You're not concerned with what's on the diploma. I'm sure that that had to be sobering for them. Like, what what is? That's that's interesting. I you know to me, you know, Mister Summa Cum Laude, Magna Cum Laude, whatever the fuck Cum Laude you were, what uh, a what was your greatest academic failure?
3: I-, I failed shop my senior year in high school.
0: <laughs>
3: I took, I did. I, I, that's I Im- that's that impossible. Metal. Oh, dude, here's the story. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty straight up. <laughs> we take shop. I'm taking metal shop. We, uh, our first day of class, the, uh, the guy teaching, he shows us how to do the different welders and whatnot and says, okay, here's your metal stock. You guys, make a project. That was pretty much all the instruction. I, I didn't know what the hell to do. I was just, I, I didn't do anything productive the first semester. The second semester, he fell on ice and slipped and uh and sprained his back and was out until for two semesters. And a substitute came in and she said, well, there's, there's no stock here. You guys can do what you want with the wood. So I started I started making a uh, wooden cut cutting boards. I I placed them together, you know, with all the tools and stuff. They were nice. I was selling them out everywhere. I had them for years. Anybody had needed a present, I'm like, hey, here's a cutting board. I made this in high school, but uh, and I got A, so I got F A A. And then the uh, the instructor came back, and uh, I I was back. I, I couldn't work with the wood anymore, and and I fell, and I, I had to go to summer school. I, I would I, I'd have to go to summer school after I graduated to get that last class. I'd go to summer school with all my umpire crap in my VW. Then I'd leave summer school and go call ball games for, for the rest, rest of the day. It was a long damn summer. It was <laughs> freaking irritating as hell.
1: Yeah.
0: This is a great question, by the way, now that I think about it. Jeff, yeah. Je- Jeffrey, your greatest academic failure was what?
2: Well, um, when I was in high school my freshman year, I, I, I failed Spanish. And I had never failed anything before, and I never failed anything after that. But um, I failed it. And I had a teacher named Miss Gilatino, and she was gorgeous, you know. And, uh, but then she turned into Miss Parnell, like around the middle of the first semester. I failed it in the first semester of uh, high school. I was going with, I mean, playing football. I was on the freshman team. They moved me up to JV, and then they moved me up. I was in the kickoff team for the varsity when I was fourteen. We got trashed. Our school sucked. Francis T. Maloney High School was not a uh, <laughs> was not a dominant like, uh, school in in central Connecticut. And then, but uh, the wrestling started, and I just flunked. Man, I couldn't believe they wanted me to do this ridiculous shit. You know that I, I guess that's what happened. But my father um, and my mother they rigorously punished me, and uh, <laughs> both physically and with imprisonment. And uh, th- there's no fucking way their oldest boy was <laughs> going to be the type of kid who got an F. So um, I got to be the next semester. But I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy coming back from all, you know, I was like, I remember the one phrase that I, I remember was when I got my ass chewed out for Is I said, uh, ella es buena chica, which I thought meant she's a good girl. But it, means it it's she's a good girl. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that pissed Miss uh, that pissed uh, you know, Miss Parnell off. You know, so you know, there you go. Anyway, my something else I did. I don't want to monopolize. Something else I did. I my parents moved to a, like a more bucolic town, you know, uh, in Connecticut from the one we were in, and I didn't like the high school there. So after a year, I just went back to my original high school on my own, and so. I was working as a busboy in this restaurant and I would spend like three or four nights a week at my grandmother's house. And like I said, she could barely speak English, I say, Hey Graham, can you sign this thing? And says, you're my guardian. And I'm staying at your house now for school. And she goes, and she's like, sure. you know? <laughs> So she did it. So, uh, so after two weeks and I got into a fight and I got suspended and I had to go tell my dad that uh, I got suspended from, uh, from high school. He goes, Oh, you, what happened? I go had a fight this Puerto Rican kid, you know uh, Adrian Cardona, and uh, he says, "Well, did you win?" I go, "Yeah, I did," but it was right in front of the principal's office, so I got caught. You know, we got so he goes, "Well, you know, let it be a lesson." Today. I go, "One more thing, Dad, you got to come into the high school to get me back in." He goes, "Oh, you, you jerk!" He's like that really pissed him off. I gotta get go down there to Lyman Hall, is the high school, and you know the place we lived. I go, "Oh no, Dad, I'm in Maloney." He goes, "What?" I, I said, "Well, I switched high school." He's like, "Where do you get your balls to switch high schools?" He was flabbergasted, you know? And so I took a I took a left hook on that one, you know? And um so then I just that's how that was the most those are two I guess failures. Funkin' Spanish and when I, beat, when I beat up Angel Cardona, who also I when I voted in Connecticut the last time it was 2016. There's an Angel Cardona on the on the on the dock for the, you know for representative in Connecticut, for my area, which I haven't been in years. But you know, so I was, I voted for him thinking it was him because I owe him. You know, <laughs> <laughs> even if he was a Democrat. But you know,
0: there, there right. you go. <laughs> yeah. a, a debt is a debt. <laughs> my greatest academic fail, failing was uh, not actually academic, but I as a I decided I would take piano one as a uh as an elective in junior college so every day you know or the days i have class i go to the trailer that has all the pianos in it and <laughs> yeah and let me tell you what's really important about like learning a musical instrument that you have one at home that you could practice on well i did not okay, okay. and so on the final I learned in that class, I learned to play one song, okay, this is, which, is, which, is, <laughs> which is awesome because I, no, I have no connection to the Marine Corps at all, right? None. My dad served in the Army. Other than reading about it, right, and, and being a fan of it as a kid, right, I have no connection to it. I learned one fucking song in piano class, and that is the Marines hymn. It's a grand total of like eight notes. So I show up for the final, and you had to play one of like four pieces, right? So I I don't even know what I would, I don't even know what I would call what I did, okay? And this woman right stands up and she looks at me, and she says, "That was terrible." In front of the whole class. (laughs) In front of the whole class. And she looks at everybody and says this. This is a lesson to what happens to you when you don't practice. And she gave me an F in piano. Oh, my
2: gosh.
1: (laughs) She must have been from the Navy.
2: She she was pissed. She was pissed. Mac, Mac, I got to tell you something. My dad, when you said that, you know, Lori looks over at me. We were both grinning because my dad used to say, I you know, when I was a kid, he'd say, "Jeffrey, you want to be the life of the party? Learn how to play the piano. All the kids will gather around you at the <laughs> piano in the party." where you, I'm like, I'm thinking, this dad no, he has no inkling of the type of parties we got now, where everybody's drunk and blowing dope, and you know, shit. I go, I don't think parties are like that anymore, Dad. Take my word for it. You up there, you start playing. You know uh, the boogie woogie google boy from company b you'll be real popular i can't think of anything, anything worse than that
0: <laughs> i'm still scarred by that woman she yep. crushed me in front of did she like rub my snout in it you know what i mean in front of god and everybody right i That's could not do that, I, I could not yeah she humiliated me in front of the rest of the class <laughs> yeah what an asshole all right uh, I want to talk about the biggest, you know, one of the things that you do when when you become part of the media is, is towards the end of the year, you know, you look back. Uh, you look back and you say, okay, what uh the, the biggest stories of the year? So, uh, Jeffrey, um, biggest story of the year in your opinion? And this is non, yeah. it could be any story. So, biggest story of the year in your opinion? Your yeah. opinion.
2: This, last election. Do you yes, want to, this ex, last election. Do you want to expand on yeah, that because, at all? Yeah, because uh, there's about 60 million people in America who feel that the election was frauded, and I happen to be one of them. And so there's going to be ramifications of that. They're not going to take this guy seriously coming in. As a matter of fact, the implications of that, if it's true that uh, these folks did this because they finally said enough of this nonsense. We we tried this you know this thing where the American people actually get to pick the guy that we haven't picked us the people who run America the you know people who, who are closer on D.C. Well uh, you know there's gonna be uh, there's gonna be ramifications because there's gonna be a lot of resentment. I'm really blowballing what I was gonna you know my real emotions on this thing, <laughs> but that's what I think. It's really uh, it's like people are gonna say, why should I obey a guy who's not legitimate? Why should I? following these rules anymore. Actually, I say, pay taxes to a bunch of crooks, you know? And so, um, it's going to be a problem. I think that's okay. a big story.
0: All right. So number one story, the election, Tim, number one story was COVID COVID-19
3: and, uh, our reaction to a virus, which 99% of us will have no problems with it. Uh, it, it was a mystery to me when it started. And, and as, as, as you'll recall, I am I, in March. I started my Apocalypse Not series on on my blog, and, and right right from the very beginning, I, I was convinced. Well, I knew it was bullshit. It couldn't. It, what they were saying was happening couldn't be true because we can never get ahead of a virus. That's ridiculous. And and here we are still to this day uh, arguing about whether Doctor Doctor Bricks Bricks should be uh, fired because she's ignoring the advice that she's forcing down our throats, like a lot of other people. And I, I I don't think the, the ramifications from this COVID-19 thing are going to go away. And I think they're going to, I think they're going to end up, I, I, hope, I hope they end up bringing the American people to exactly where, where I am. And that's with a healthy a dose of skepticism with any intellectual or academic or, or, or professor. I, I, I am very much, I, I think the principal lesson. From from this uh, from from our entire past century is that uh, the, the number of innocent lives taken by people who thought they had a scheme to improve the lot of humanity has has led us to ruin. And, and I think the lesson of the of this year is beware of intellectuals. They do not have your best interests in heart
1: at heart. Got it. All right. Well, number one story of the year. Yeah, other than those two, I would say the number one story of the year is the media got worse. The, the story yeah. isn't that the media is horrible. We all knew that. But they got worse, which is really sort of hard to believe. They were uh, complete advocates for a certain way. And their ability, uh, you know, if, if you say media and president, to be against the president and then it completely flip around and before the incoming president-elect, uh, they got worse. And that has just long-term insidious, uh, consequences, uh, cause it reinforces all those other bad stories. Uh, and again, they were, they were horrible before. Mm-hmm. Uh, But now, uh, there's what 40, at least 40 to 49% of the country who fundamentally won't believe anything that's labeled news anymore. Um, sort of hard to get consensus on big issues, uh, when everyone knows that they got worse.
0: Yeah, Will took mine. I would, I would double down on what will said i think that and and i think we all know as, as Will said you know the media is has is not good and has kind of always been throughout but i don't know ever in my lifetime that i've seen the scene things that i saw this year Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and as 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 will quite articulately stated articulately stated um every one of the uh, stories that both you know jeff and Tim talked about, all of that is compounded by the fact that we now have, has a, have a media that somehow or other can't seem to find the truth. And, and worse than that, the truth I don't even think is important to them. It's their agenda as advocates. Which And when we say the news, we're not talking about the op-ed, the opinion side of it. We're talking about the news side. And I think that's stunning. I think, it, and it's dangerous to. Uh, I think it's dangerous to the democracy. And this week, in tribute to that, is the New York Times returning a Peabody Award for something that they were warned about that wasn't true, that was being fabricated, right? And I'm not going to say the 1619 Project, although that's what many will will think of. And it was uh, it was a it was a it was a series they did called the Caliphate, and it was it was oh, by this right, yeah. by this Canadian guy who people warned him like yeah that guy didn't do the stuff he's saying he did and he put on this big show he talked about sawing people's heads off and all these things he did all turns out to be bullshit, and yeah. published under the banner of the New York Times. Now I mean that's hard to believe, and and again they were warned about it too. And so I think that um, I, I I agree with Will. I think that fundamentally um, makes people question what they're reading, and they can't trust it anymore. So, anybody uh, additional comments, Jeff?
2: Well, yeah, the, uh, I think it's all of a piece. I mean, the stuff that Timmy was talking about with with the uh, coronavirus and uh, the stuff that you guys talked about with the media. There's a um, there's a like a solid block of people who will not um tolerate any uh any you know differentiation any kind of uh movement from the no- this is what we believe if you hear you'll hear and, and it even creeps its way into like uh what we would consider to be conservative news like I heard uh Carl Rove and I heard uh you know uh Geraldo Rivera both say the same thing about uh the people. Who believe in the uh, you know the, they think that we're tin foil hat people who believe there was monkey business with those six states in re, in regards to uh, the election and exact same comments you know and mm-hmm. you hear that constantly you know with the left we meet on the other networks and you don't even listen to them. I don't even listen to them you know but uh, the uh, they're totally you know in the tank in a way of thinking and their way of thinking should be what's true what's you know What's unbiased and what isn't? These guys don't even make it, make an attempt anymore. And like, if you see some of them, and now they're they're like they're nepotists too. You see, there's kids, children of uh, you know former um, you know journalists who weren't that good. Like for instance, Chris Wallace, his dad Mike Wallace was a horrible propagandist. He his, he made his business to go after the military in Vietnam. he. he you know he, they basically slant all these things they do in sixty minutes, and never get called out for it. Not you know even though they're sued and uh, you know for libel and stuff, they survive it because most people just believed them. They, because Walter Cronkite was a CBS guy. Another uh, you know crowning turd. These guys who started this thing, they all were like half educated, really didn't know what the hell was going on, totally in the tank. With Franklin Roosevelt, you know, and would repeat any kind of bullshit that guy spewed. And, uh, you know, they became the first newscasters, those dudes. And, and, and what they, it got steadily worse through the 70s, the 80s, 90s. And now we're at the point where they don't even make a pretense. They are totally, you know, for one way of thinking and that's it. And like Will said, they're totally against this guy Trump, ridiculously so. And when they get called out for being wrong, they just look at you or look at the camera and not even acknowledge it and then go on to the next lie. And then they turned totally around 180, and they're totally for, you know, the senile old crook that we got now. You know, so it's just, uh, it's disgusting, it's obvious, and, uh, you know, I can't believe our country is going down this this uh, road. Although, it actually should make sense after all this crap.
0: me, I heard you take a big breath like you were going to say something.
3: Well, all I wanted to say was, what do we do? I, I'm at the same point. I mean, Will was talking about this uh, last week, I believe, when, when, when he was on with you. What, what do we do? It's, it's pretty obvious to a lot of people that the, this election was tampered with. It's pretty obvious that this uh, COVID non- lockdown nonsense is bogus. It's, it's getting to the point of ridiculous. But what do you do? What, what can we do about it? I, I, that is the one thing that pisses me off because I heard on a podcast today talk about that uh, uh, the Supreme Court justices, when they were meeting to decide what they're going to meet with, that was a, it was in the news about them shouting and screaming at each other. And the reason why that I was t- I heard on this podcast that they didn't take it was Robert said, yeah, after the the Bush Gore thing, we didn't have any riots. And, and so it would it would appear that that not only can we not do anything in order to express our displeasure at how we're being treated as a people, but, uh, even, even the, the justices in the Supreme court there, I mean, nobody seems to be operating on the principle of this is a great country and we've got to do well by this country. They seem to be operating on the principle of I've got a legacy. I got to make some money. I don't want any trouble, blah, blah, blah. And I, it's, it's cowardice. It's, it's straight up social cowardice and that's that's my that's why I'm, I walk around in the funk these last few days I don't know what to do about all this I just know that I'm pissed I mean pissed and and that's it and and it's that's a very shitty feeling to have to be pissed off and knowing that you can do nothing because you can't do anything well, I mean, what, what are you going to do not pay your taxes try go good luck with that you know that's not going to work I I'm just very disgusted because we all see it. We all talk about this every week, but I don't know what we're going to do to change it. And I think that we're going to not see change until the prerequisites I've articulated earlier, which is a nasty defeat with lots of dead, dead people and destroyed equipment until that happens. I think and then maybe we, we might want to start thinking about, Hey, maybe the military is for fighting wars. That would be a new concept, but, uh, for right now, all you can do is grin and bear it, and and ignore the news as much as possible because you can't believe anything they're telling you anyway. It's 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 disturbing. I'm I'm just, just I'm just very discouraged.
0: All right, fair enough. William, do you have any final comments on that?
1: Yeah, I I think that um, you know we're going to see something interesting with COVID here. Uh, the the vaccine's going to come in. And then what's going to happen? And when we get a critical mass of people vaccinated, um, you know what's going to happen. Um, once you get a vaccine, is there any reason to wear, a mask? you know, to wear a mask? But then, how do you prove? It? Yeah, I don't think is so. you got a vaccine. I don't think so. You would oh, think not. Whoa, 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 hold you on, would hold on, not. boys. The, pl- the
3: plan, as I've heard it from Fauci himself, is after you've been vaccinated, you still might get it and be asymptomatic and spread it. So we better keep the mask on. That's what Fauci's saying it, yeah. for the next fucking
1: it, it, year. It, it, what? Yeah. So so it's yeah. interesting. Once we get a critical mass of people vaccinated, you know, what's going to happen? And then is there going to be a reckoning? The small business owners. You know, how do you make restitution? How do you get them on their feet? But we're never going to recover from a year of kids in no school, people not going to the doctor, uh, depression, uh, and all of those things. And so what's going to – is that going to be a story next year? Are we going to be talking next year about – Holy cow! We really overreacted, and here was the cost.
0: Yes, to it. I say yes. I say that will be the not st- a chance in hell. I will say. I will I don't say
1: think it's going to make the news.
0: That will be the story.
1: No, nope. yeah.
3: I'm with Will. Only, you don't.
0: You don't have a big enough yeah. economic wand to wave at the fallout that's coming. The carnage has been caused by shutting down the economy. You, nobody has that. You know, look at. All the airplanes that have not been taken off and landing, that costs every county, every city a shit ton of money. Where's that money coming from? Yeah,
1: the, the only way that this gets into the news is if the snapback economic boom is so big that we're feeling fat. But if it doesn't, there's no way that, that people can make this into a news story.
0: I don't see because how it's I, I, I don't see because what what's going to happen? Who's going
1: to put it in the news? It's not an MSNBC, CBS, ABC, Washington Post, New York Times because it's counter to the narrative. Yeah, you
2: know, well, no, no, let me just. In the late '80s, the late '80s, the 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 you know the UN came up with this climate uh, council, you know that has gained more and more power over the years. And uh, one of the things in the mid-90s they came up with was we may have to do a planned recession. And that's exactly what this uh, shutting down the economy is for the boogeyman of this, uh, you know, this virus that uh, you got a, you know, 99.6 chance of surviving, you know, is doing. They're basically, if you like the global warming bullshit, you love the coronavirus stuff. And uh, so as long as people put up with it, but I think, you know, like what Will's saying, you know, has real merit. Right now, almost nobody dies from this thing who isn't already sick. No matter how many times they try and elasticize the thing, you know, to make all the other diseases fall under the, the COVID, you know, mantle, it just isn't. So what's going to happen is people are going to eventually go like, "Hey, the emperor ain't got no clothes. He's got no new clothes on." Like right now, even I'll tell you, what, the two counties that straddle where I live here in, in uh, Orange in uh, Southern California, they ignore, they ignore this guy Newsom. You know, I mean, yesterday I was up there, you know, in your restaurant, everybody's sitting around eating and stuff like that. You know, it's uh, that's just going to happen. People are just going to say, fuck you. And uh, I think they're saying that already. And I'll tell you what, you know, you get enough people, it becomes like the prohibition, you know, where you you have a huge crime wave after because people get used to disobeying laws that don't make sense. You know, you should never give an order you can't enforce. You all learned that when we were lieutenants. Same thing goes double for government. Don't give, don't make a law you're not either willing or able to enforce because it destroys whatever small credibility you have. And that's what's been happening.
0: All right, let's talk about, uh, let's go around the horn and talk about top, um, top civilian stores. Um, Timmy, to top, uh, I'm sorry, top DOD, top DOD store. Well, that,
3: that, that top DOD story has to be the, uh, the reorganization of the Marine Corps, uh, which <coughs> is proceeding not quite as planned and I, I think ultimately uh, will render the Marine Corps irrelevant to the national defense plans, quite frankly. I, I, I have never seen or heard of anybody advocating for preparing for a single adversary when you're the global hegemon, I mean, which we are. So this whole tilt to the Pacific thing by the Marine Corps, the divesting ourselves of tank, tube artillery and snipers is the biggest Marine Corps story. I, I don't know that that's being honestly reported because I believe there's probably a lot of more turbulence going on inside the ranks than we're hearing about. But uh, at least I would hope so. But that's the, to me is, is, is the biggest story. And it's a story that I'm afraid is not going to end well.
0: Um. You know, Will threw up a, sto- uh, a, a story that was written last week, and the headlines: "What's the role of Marine Infantry in the new strategy to fight China?" The Corps is still trying to figure that out. Mm. What? Yeah. Don't.
1: Yeah, that's a quote from a two-star general. That'll make you cry, won't it? No,
0: it's uh, you watch it. It's like, what? Wait a minute. I mean, don't we need to have that kind of locked down before we? go down this road? I mean, shouldn't we have that figured out? I guess not. So anyway, all right, well, uh, number one DOD story is,
1: um, I had framed this slightly differently, but, uh, I, I, I think, uh, confusion in the leadership is what I would say. Oh, uh, as you see with um, you know fire this secnav fire that acting secnav uh get rid of the sec def uh the, the president has to reach down and do things like turn off the uh critical race theory stuff um You know the the walk in the park that uh, General Milley and the SecDef just just adopted the narrative. Um, I I think that that just confusion in the ranks, and I'm not I'm not looking for the SecDef and the senior uniforms in particular to just kowtow to the president, Um, but. We just seem to get into a lot of stupidity. The, you know, the, the Theodore Roosevelt, um, we just seem to have a lot of stupidity this year at the very high levels of both uniform and civilian leadership. Um, and, and I don't know how big a story that is to the man on the street, because I think the average man on the street just doesn't pay attention, you know, to this kind of stuff. But if you're inside the force, I don't think it was a good year uh, looking up at leaders and decisions they're making uh, in, in, in seemingly in most things. So I'll put that out there. I don't know if there's a story in the newspaper that says that, but that's my sort of conglomeration of a bunch of different lines of confusion that we've talked about a couple of times during the year.
0: And and the major headline over that would be confusion inside the Department of Defense?
1: Yeah, something like that. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll take that. All
0: right. Um, I like that, but, you know, let me throw out the obvious one is that is the killing of Soleimani um, on, what, July 3rd of last year. Uh, I'm sorry, January 3rd of last year. Um, I mean, to me... That was that, in my opinion, has changed the dynamic in the middle in, in the region. Um, and now you're looking at seeing something we've never seen in our lifetime, which is the Arab states aligned with Israel. Right. Uh, arrayed against Iran.
1: And yeah, I don't and, and, I didn't count that as a military story, because okay. I think there's a hell of a lot more. Political diplomatic effort that went there, with the military is being very in support, but I think you got to give the president, you know, ninety odd percent of the the credit for that, and not when he's wearing his commander in chief hat. That right, whole that, Middle East realignment.
0: Right. No, I um, but I think that's a huge. I mean. Iran on the you know ascending in my opinion and it has been I mean and fueled by um a variety of things I I, I won't get into but I mean Iran has not we haven't seen so much of Iran this year I mean a lot of shit talking but a nation that's now not what it was a year ago and uh very very interesting so I would throw that out um we can go around one more time. We have some time. Uh, Jeff, any comments on, on either anything Tim or Will or, or I said in terms of stories?
2: Well, yeah. Number one, um, I agree with you about the Iran thing uh, because if you look at actions subsequent to that. They had this uh, nuclear you know physicist murdered, but it looks more like now their own folks murdered the guy with Israeli help. And so that's kind of a, a, the, the, the strike against Suleimani the uh, different posture and everything, the, the destruction of the Iran deal that, he made, that they made with Obama has weakened them. Because their biggest threat, the way they see it, and probably in reality, is from within. It's like the Chinese are more afraid of their own folks than they are of uh, people on the outside. So I think that that's the, the key with the, you know, with the Iranian thing. But, you know, I agree with you on that. The, uh, the, um, I think the biggest story, though, because it's a canary in a coal mine, is the Marine Corps uh, issues with their new force design? It wasn't really spelled out very well. To so this, and I think now the realism of what has happened when you divest yourself of these key warfighting functions that we have, key warfighting, you know, um, resources are gone now, and it really hurt our relations with the other services in regards to, you know, uh, O plans and com plans that are up there you know that uh, contingencies and operational plans you have we can't do it anymore uh because of this uh big thing that we've we've done and, and we'd still if you ask marines about it nobody nobody can tell you what it is really what's the whole point of that, and, uh, that is uh, a leadership failure got
0: it got it but it's, but it's, tim what about you what about you
3: Say, say it again, Mac. You just faded out on me, brother.
0: What about what about you? Any any thoughts on anything that that that, that Jeff said or Will?
3: No, 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 no. I, I've I've said okay. my piece about how disgusted I am. I'm waiting for the book round because I got shit to talk about there.
0: Got it. Will any final comments on uh,
1: nothing what? they said? But I, I'll throw out another story. Is uh, is are we at peak China right now? Are we at what? You know, did China <laughs> peak? China did China yes overexpose themselves, uh, and have we seen a turn uh, in the world to recognize what they are? And are we going to look back in ten years and say, you know, that might been a that twenty twenty might have been peak China? I don't know, but I don't think China uh internationally is riding as high today as they were a year ago.
0: No, that's, I uh, think
1: people they're unmasked.
0: Right. That's 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 very astute, Will. I I mean you're seeing things, I mean it's hard to call it the crest, right? But um you're seeing things in the South China Sea in the region that you you that heretofore you, you just haven't seen. The French, the Japanese, and the United States Navy are operating in the Philippine Sea right now. The French down there. So that gives you some indication of the seriousness which the French, see the Brits are, are, are in the region, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, that, that's interesting. I'll tell you the other thing that was huge. Um, and I don't know if it happened, it didn't happen earlier this year, but the EU decision and the UK decision, right. Uh, on Huawei were huge blows to China, I think. And uh, so I think those are major news stories too. All right, what are you? Uh, what are you reading, Jeffrey?
2: Well, I'm pushing my way through these toll things, and now I'm on the one. Uh, I'm reading the toll the, the toll book regarding uh, Guadalcanal, Canal, and it's just like the other one. It's great. He has more toll, and I think Will already said this. He puts more marine stuff in his description of the, uh, you know, the naval stuff that's going on. But uh, the 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 way he talks about the Guadalcanal Canal thing, he really Put some Marines into it a, a lot more, and it's just uh, it's just a joy to read. I'll tell you what, I, I, you look forward to reading naval history. You know the guy's a good writer. You know? <laughs> and then I'm reading I'm reading Andy Milburn's book. I'm just about done, and I keep going back and rereading things because it's got people in it that I know and everything. His book, uh, when the tempest turn, uh, you know, uh, wait a minute, gathers. when the uh, gathers, yeah, when the tempest gathers, right? And uh, so it's just uh, you know, it's. a... Uh, it, it's good to read, and then you read the, the stuff about Guadalcanal, you think, you know, how things have changed, you know, in the different types of conflicts. You know, that was desperate conflict to survive, the one in World War II. And this one, you know, is uh, you know, obviously more nuanced. But, uh, yeah, let some to read. Got it. All
0: right. Will and Will. Uh, Tim, what are you reading?
3: Well, I'm, I'm, I took our advice and went back to one of the writers who I really love, Uh, which is rick atkins because i never read his world war ii series and i'm i'm now on the the guns at last light um his second book in this series and i found out something i didn't know which was teddy theodore roosevelt's son was a general officer in the army and and landed on uh landed on d-day
0: yeah and and had a and had a heart attack and had a heart attack and died
3: had a heart attack and died after fighting for about 35 days and, and spending the evening with his son who had just come to visit him. No, right. I, I, I had not – he was on the first boat, you know, with, the, with that walking stick. His son was also on the first landing wave at Utah Beach. How many former president's children would be involved in a war today were, were that to be repeated? We I don't know the,
0: answer the, no, don't know no. the exact Zero. answer. Yeah, I don't know the exact answer to that. I would say that would be a small number.
3: I would say zero. Right, right. I I would say it's closer to zero too. So reading reading about these old guys uh like West I don't Pence, know. I West find Pence it very good, person. very very comforting. Got it, got it. Hey, right. but I wanted I wanted to make a remark about something you and Grant talked about, if I may, sir. Sure.
0: Well, um let's fin- let let's finish uh with Will in terms of what you're reading, yeah. then we'll Fair come enough. back to you. William, Fair what enough. are you reading?
1: so i I finished uh the book I was reading Sparta's First Attic War by a guy named paul rahi r a h e and it's the time period between when the Persians decided that they weren't going to be able to take Greece and when the Peloponnesian war started and there there's just so much in there that you can relate to modern times um he talks about alliances uh Alliances are typically based on fear, not love. Uh, and alliances, uh, once you overcome the fear, it's really hard to keep an alliance together. Uh, and that's sort of interesting if you think you're building that alliance in World War II. Uh, it's, you know, things change. Well, they did it 2,000 years ago. There's just a lot of other really uh, lessons – for the modern world that the Greeks had figured out. So I finished that book and then I, I started a book called Apocalypse Never by Michael Schellenberger. And it's, uh, it's a criticism of the climate change wackos. And this guy is a, an environmental wacko. Um, but he gets, you know, I'm only in like the first chapter but he just gets into data and uh, uh, he takes apart the arguments of the true climate change wackos. And I think one of his thesis is uh, that stuff is actually going to hurt the environmental movement. Um, but it's a good book because it's, it's based on data uh, that he goes in and, and uses uh, to interrogate the arguments. So uh, uh
0: that's what I got. I'm reading Slaughterhouse-Five. Never read it. I never read <laughs> it. Yeah, I
1: never
0: never read it. I'm not much of a fiction, you know, and a sci-fi guy. Um but I twice last week I was recommend I was recommended uh, one to watch. Somebody told me to watch The Mandalorian. Um and uh, I did that, um, and then I was, uh, and then Slaughterhouse Five. So I've like, I've like been like all in on science fiction, and I'm not a science fiction guy. And uh, I watched all 16 episodes of The Mandalorian, and I want to say four days. And I'd say that I like the little Yoda figure, and I like the Mandalorian guy. But I can only watch so much of, like, the laser blasters and shit. I mean, I don't know how those, like, guys in the white uniforms conquered the whole galaxy because they suck as fucking soldiers, man. Every time you see them, they're getting their shit whacked. It's like, how do you guys yeah. conquer the galaxy? And so, but anyway, so Slaughterhouse-Five. And, and so I'm intrigued as a, the way Vonnegut uses fiction as a vehicle to tell his story about Dresden. Right. Which is kind of what he does. So um, as a storyteller, I'm interested in Starhouse 5 So that's what I'm reading. Now, Timothy, back to you. You have the floor.
3: I, I just wanted to remark as you and Grant were talking about the Chinese uh, uh, getting all this information. You know, they, they've they hacked us before and got all of our uh, our stuff from OMB and whatnot. And I know they've got my file because I was notified by the government that 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 was uh, my file was part of that take. Oh, really? But they don't – they got that information. You were asking what they do with it. Yeah. How they, wep- I, how I they the weaponize it. Perse- Yeah. The, the way they weaponize it is they 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 pick a target. Like let's say an up-and-coming, some kind of loser in California you think would make a good congressman, just for an example. You pick a target. You get all of his stuff that he's put in his FS-86, which is a security clearance form, which they've got all of ours. Right. So everything you put in there, they know, Right. They get to know the individual, and then as they approach the individual, they do it with flattery and interest into them and knowing what to ask and talking about things they have in common. I got a little bit of experience with this spy stuff, having been through this dance once before, and that's how they do it. You attract, you attract good collaborators with flattery and knowing all there is to know about them, feigning interest in them. When, in fact, that's the least of the things that you have going for. You don't have any interest in them at all. I just wanted to straighten that that one out because it's not it's not like, hey, we've got the goods or we're going to blackmail you. That's pretty easy to get out of. It's when you get tricked into thinking that somebody likes you because you're a smart person or some bullshit like that. Those are the guys they get. And, they, and, and when they get them, they're done. I just wanted to point that out.
0: So, yeah, I don't really understand, you know, to what end. Uh, to what end, all right, well we 'll do a kind of another version of this of this all of this intellectual fodder uh, for the last like thirty five minutes. by far, the most interesting is a conversation about how you what was the greatest academic failure in your life. I thought that was the most interesting piece of of radio we 've done in a, in a while, boys. that was really good. I was found that very interesting, so uh oh, it-
3: And you elicited a story nobody's ever heard before from me since probably 1977. (laughs) That was remarkable. I don't know what the hell I'm doing (laughs) talking to you like this.
0: Well, hey, we found out Jeff failed Spanish in ninth grade. Will. I
3: know. That's not as bad. The shot's worse.
0: The rigors of of academics at the Naval Academy. Will graduating in the top third of his class with a 2.6 class. Great GPA. That's impressive. So, anyway. All right, boys. (laughs) <laughs> well, Merry Christmas, and uh, we'll do another version of this next week. I appreciate it. And Merry,
1: Merry Christmas.
3: Christmas to you, brother and dog, all the all the
0: listeners. All right. More of All Marine Radio coming up next right here on your home for it, the All Warrior Radio Network.